Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. These are the teachings from our Sunday gatherings. We are supported by listeners like you who find value in the mission of discipleship. If you'd like to give financially, check out our website, our Instagram, our Facebook for the giving tab. And thank you for partnering with us and keeping the mission alive. Grace and peace to you. We're going to shift gears. We're going to do it like this. Imagine a cup. Just think about it. Don't tell anyone about the cup that you're thinking about right now. But later I'm going to ask you about it. Until then, nobody's going to be certain what anyone else is really thinking about. Thinking, contemplation, meditation, all that's inward stuff, right? Now, Nate started us down that road a couple of weeks ago. And he used a piece of scripture to encourage us to look inwardly to consider our posture toward God, the way we're currently relating to him, like how we feel about us and Jesus right now. And he chose a version that I just really appreciate for its simplicity and its bluntness. It goes like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Well, I'm going to pick up Nate's conversation about inward faith today. And hopefully... Get us thinking about inwardness in a way that moves us toward practicing unforced rhythms, walking, working with Jesus as second nature, and maybe even encouraging others to come along with us. So I asked you to think about a cup, and now I want to chat about that. What would you say your level of engagement was when you were just quietly sitting, and thinking. Let me throw out a few terms, and you can just shout out if this matches your experience. Uh, Would anyone say that at that moment, you're just using your imagination to picture a cup? That sound about right? Imagination. Maybe you just picture it in your head. Maybe like all of that was happening internally. Maybe that's your language for that. Or maybe you're thinking, "Um, my thoughts were private, and I really don't want to answer your questions right now. Um, would anyone say that was just really satisfying? You were super captivated by that cup thought. And then there's some of you that are like, what cup? I missed the first part. I don't know. Well, all those answers are valid. That was your experience in thinking. So now let me ask this. What was the practical effect of thinking? Was there any outward, visible, audible outcome? No, I think probably no. Because thinking, meditating, musing are solitary individual practices. Like dialogue isn't really anticipated. We're alone in our thoughts, and there we don't expect to encounter any challenges to our way of thinking. We're not open in that moment to input or outward influences. But prior knowledge would have shaped our point of view in that process. And that's important to recognize. 
In this case, that knowledge or input would have been some experience with a cup that we recalled for the sake of the exercise. So now I'll ask this. What is the theological or Jesus-related equivalent to sitting quietly and thinking about an unspecified cup? I would equate what we just did to contemplation of some general thing. Like considering our own interpretation of God or wondering about his character or pondering his mission through Christ. So here's a question I do want you to answer. Do you think quietly thinking like that is beneficial or could it be problematic in any way? Give me a thumbs up if you think, yeah, thumbs down, no? Any thoughts? I think that inwardness, that inner dialogue, the fact that we have a notion about God could be the beginning of our faith. It could be someone's whole faith, and that's something, right? Meditation's relaxing. At the very least, it creates a moment of focused attention. And if we allow scripture to seize on our thoughts, that moment can be edifying. Here's what Paul wrote about that possibility. Dear brothers and sisters, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That's all beneficial, I think. But is there a drawback to an inward practice? Possibly. Think about our cup situation. We had a parallel moment thinking side by side, but did anyone or our community grow or change or find encouragement or common ground because of it? I think that if we shifted from contemplation to conversation, we would find ourselves talking about 25, 30 different cups. So let me check that. I need a volunteer for that. Mamie, what cup were you thinking about? Describe your cup to me, the one you pictured. Um, a cat cup. A cat cup? Amazing. <laughs> did anyone else picture a cat cup? Definitely not. I should. Okay. Uh, Jason, what did you picture? What was your cup? Uh, an espresso cup. An espresso cup. Okay. Um, did anyone think about this GP cup on the stand? You did. Okay. Um, it makes sense. We uh, would often picture an expected image, um, the thing that we would associate with a certain prompt. And I actually set this here on purpose as kind of a low-key influence that we should probably be aware of. Just kind of subtle things that color our imagination or even prejudice our thinking. So let's talk some more about variety. So here's some cups. This is my water cup. I only put water in it because I don't want to stain it. This is my iced tea cup, 20 ounces, ice cold, does a great job. This is Paul's cup. He put coffee in it. I think that's nasty. I would never drink out of it. He loves it. So we do not have any sort of agreement about the quality of this cup. <laughs> and then there's this cup. 
This cup, I would say, is amazing. It's my hot cocoa cup, and it's perfect. It has a lid on it. It keeps my cats out. It keeps my hot cocoa warm. And it is the only one that I was talking about when I asked you to think about a cup. And one more thing to note, this cup is really special to me because it was given to me. It was passed on to me. And that matters sometimes. So the point is, people think about lots of cups. They hold lots of cups. They use lots of different cups. But if we're going to have a meaningful, cuppy conversation, it would be really good to be roughly on the same page. Faith conversations are like that, too. It is important to acknowledge that everyone is drinking from and taking in from different cups. And we should speak first about what unifies us. John Wesley said this about that. Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without a doubt, we may. Herein, all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. So let's try a new practice. We're all going to draw this cup. So there's pencils, there's paper, and I'm going to need a volunteer to come up and draw. I saw a Kai first. Yeah, come on up. We'll need more people later. Yeah, you're going to draw this cup. So everybody just grab a piece of paper, uh, grab a pencil, pass them down, and draw this cup. It's getting interactive. Yeah, you're actually going to draw up here. Yep, here you go. Here you go. We'll just make that happen. All right, you draw, she'll draw, everybody will be drawing. Yep. <laughs> so while all that's going on, I'll chat to you. Uh, if the practice of thinking was all eternal, and sorry, internal, uh, what would we say about this practice now of drawing all together? Like, what's our level of engagement now? Uh, I'd say we're all, for the most part, getting a chance to produce something that in the end we can all share if we want to. Uh, we are working in tandem, if not cooperatively. Hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Perfect, thank you. I'll say that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> All right, so given that, now I'm curious to know if we have 20 versions of this cup. So uh, I need to see some art. Who's got something they can share? Okay, maybe I'll take that. Oh, yeah, I'll take this one too. Oh, okay, we have this cup. This is Jason's cup. That's not art. They got this cup. I know, right? Oh, I love that response. And we have this cup. So we have our cups. These are cups. You have your cup. Can I hang on to these? So we'll just see that. We'll, can I see your cup? Do you want to sign it? Okay, you can sign it in the meantime. No. <laughs> oh, oh, I wish you guys could see this cup. There's an artist. It's really good. Thank you. For, okay, hang on to this one too. Amazing. Thank you. All right. So we've got this going on. 
So now let's talk about the practical effect of having this one thing to focus on between us. Um, I would say that we're individuals, but uh, in sharing this overarching idea, we can draw different conclusions about the same thing. With that, though, the point of view is still ourselves. And our drawing is our truth. So is this exercise beneficial, or could this be problematic? I would say on the positive, uh, having 20 versions of one cup can create broader conversations. It can allow for divergent thought. All of that input could foster growth. It could spark reformation. Or it could be divisive. We could get judgmental about each other's versions of the cup. Does that sound possible in any space that we live in? And now, if we relate drawing from 20 points of view to theology, like how we talk about God, think about the church, I would say that's like an all-faiths potluck where we tolerate each other's dishes on the table, but we only eat our casserole because we only trust our own cooking. And I think that that's the space where disunity foments, where denominations carve out distinctions. And that's also where universalism steps in to say that every idea of the divine is equally valid. And that sounds like a happy answer to faith disagreements, but God self-discloses to the contrary. So I'm going to let him answer that. This is from Isaiah. I alone am God. There are no other gods. No one is like me. So I'll leave that there. So, like meditation, each one of us drawing independently was a little bit of a mixed bag. That's a little bit of like highly individualized faith. There is a moment in our faith journey where we must make our beliefs our own. But our beliefs should be informed, informed by scripture and reason and experience and history and tradition. Faith that is not informed is not defensible. It can be like a folktale that we're told in our youth and that we cling to without question or without any interest in discovering its depths. Faith should not be anti-intellectual. We should be learners. True disciples are, by definition, learners. They submit to instruction. They seek to emulate their instructor. And for Christians, that means Jesus. Only Jesus. So disciples need to learn that foundational stuff. If they're going to develop the capacity to imitate their teacher, they need to know the details. Back to the cup the cup. Now to make a point, I'm going to ask you to agree that we are only dealing with this one cup right now. And since that's the case, this next bit is only for people who want to learn about this one cup. So you might need to flip your paper over, grab another one, and I'm going to need another artist up here. <laughs> uh, Estelle, you try it this time. So this time, if you're tracking with me, uh, we're going to learn about this cup. 
and I'm going to give you instructions to follow. So you can go right up here. So now, you've got your paper, you've got your pencils. I'm going to give you something specific. This cup is three and a half inches wide, or sorry, high. It has a diameter of two and a half inches. So it's roughly the size of an adult man's fist. So start by drawing a, an oval, horizontal, two and a half inches in length, and about three quarters of an inch high at the highest point in the middle. <laughs> you can do it. And then uh, below that, about three and a half inches below that, set two points. And they'll be directly below the outer edge of the oval. <laughs> and then you're going to connect the outer edge of the oval to those points, bowing out slightly. And then you can connect the dots at the bottom and create the base. And when you're ready, you're going to add a handle. And it's about a quarter of an inch from the top. It extends out one inch. And it ends a half an inch from the bottom. So I'll let that stay here for a second. Oh, thank you. Well done. <laughs> All right, now we need to see some of these pictures. Anybody got anything they can show now? Uh, yes. Thank you. All right, here's one. Here's one. Here's one. That one is a mushroom top side. Let me see that. All right. All right. Uh, yes. So uh, definitely, uh, we're getting more similarities. Who's doing shading? Who did this? Uh, what? <laughs> that one doesn't count. Oh, oh, and the next one has a heart on it. This is some good artwork. I appreciate this. All right, so now we've got all of these cups. Let's talk about our level of engagement now. In this scenario, Every artist who has a cup to show was a willing participant. They knew that they'd be given details to help them reproduce this cup. And in an exercise like this, uh, the instructor has some level of experience or competence or just practical uh, experience that's accepted as authoritative. But because of that, our communication was one way. Like This was not a discussion, even though we were all involved. So what's the practical outcome of an exchange like this? It was a shared experience of sorts. We we're goal-oriented. We accomplished something. All of you artists were given concrete facts, which allowed you to replicate an inanimate object pretty well. Is this kind of practice beneficial, or could this be problematic? And this kind of learning is important. This is foundational. That's good. In school, you guys can help me out with this, you have to learn things like facts, right? Math facts, reading facts, history facts. That kind of stuff is important. It is comprehension level. It's memorization. It's not critical thinking. And both of those are important. Uh, we did produce similar images. That's fun. Uh, but our point of view might have been disinterested. It might have been dispassionate, because this was kind of mechanical. You're being told what you need to do with this. Or you could just be really into this cup right now. So let's imagine that. 
Imagine that you are totally convinced that your drawing is utterly and correctly representative of the cup. What do you suppose the theological equivalent of being really fixated about the details of drawing this one cup is? We would be dogmatic. That means we would be immovable in our newly held belief that things like the height of the cup is three and a half inches, and it is the best hot cocoa cup ever. And then, what if we all agreed that one of our drawings, I'm going to choose this because the darkest one, that one of our drawings was the best. What if we hung it up in a place of honor? We'd all look at it. What if it stayed there and we honored that? But what if, once we hung it up, None of us asked any clarifying questions about it. What if there was no further exploration? No fact-checking. Where would that leave us? At the very least, we'd be guilty of groupthink. We'd have accepted teaching without applying reasoning, or as I said, fact-checking. It's surprising how faith traditions sometimes shy away from scrutiny. And I'm just saying it's good to have certainty, but also know what you know. Test everything. Get together and study. Argue at lunch. Write in your bulletin. Fire off questions. Respectfully listen to other points of view. Hone your belief. I have to tell you something. Drawing this cup was a low-stakes activity. I didn't measure it. Three and a half inches was my best guess about its height. But if this was something we we're going to stake our lives on, we better be getting the tape measure out. In the same way, if we're going to make claims about God and Christ, we got to know about him, and we got to know him, know him. So now we know something about this cup. Some of the facts are iffy, I know. Pretend I never said that. Who can tell me something they remember about the dimensions of the cup? What was the height? Three and a half inches. Three and a half inches. Uh, what was the diameter? 2.5. Two, two, two <laughs> I love that. 2.5, two and a half inches, yeah. So we can state the facts. Good. If there's truth in that, good. But now, when you're telling me these facts about the cup, are the facts coming from your head or coming from your heart? What do we say? Head? Head, that's pretty general. Okay, so head. So it came from our head. Now, based on these facts, out of our head, is anyone prepared to make a decision about this cup? This cup is available at World Market. Is anyone ready to sell all of their cups and go and buy this one cup? Absolutely. <laughs> Jason's feeling the cup. Is anyone else feeling the cup? Eric is feeling the cup. Two of you are <laughs> I don't work for World Market. All right. So now at this point, for most of us, other than Jason and Eric, uh, our level of engagement is probably that we acknowledge the cup's cupness. Most of us agree that the cup is a cup, but for the rest of us, will it be our cup? Is it the cup? 
If we decide intellectually that this cup is the cup, then all of our thoughts will flow from that truth. No other cup will occupy the same space in our minds. Other cups abound, but they won't be ours. If we're pressed to make a case for our cup, we just have this one picture to show, and we might say these things like, uh, this is the cup. It just is. We're sure about that, but we're not convincing. And later, if someone else proves that the cup we chose and the cup I brought aren't actually the same size, that can chip away at our confidence. Or we might dig our heels in and insist that the tape measure is flawed. So what's missing? Besides research and revisions, what keeps our confidence about this cup from being absolute, something we can speak from our hearts about with conviction. We haven't dealt with its contents. We haven't let the cup be a cup in all its glory. So hang on. Hmm. I'm not done. Yes. <laughs> a cup is purposeful, right? By design, it's a thing that's meant to hold goodness. Oh, I have volunteers now. <laughs> and pour out goodness, and endlessly so. Our relationship with this cup was never meant to be observational, but interactive. We're supposed to engage with the cup, pick it up, hold it, but most of all, take from it. When we drink, we taste the goodness. Anybody want to taste the goodness? No? I think it's coffee. It's, it's hot chocolate. I should have specified. <laughs> I told you it was my hot cocoa cup. Hang on. A couple of volunteers? Absolutely. We need to chat about this. You got to learn from experience. Yes or no? Yes. It might be hot. I, <laughs> I will lead them to world market. You're welcome. Hmm. There you go. What's your name? Savannah. Savannah, nice to meet you. Are you a cousin? Yeah? Nice. Thanks for coming today. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So uh, now we have some people tasting this. Now we have something else to chat about. So when we drink, we taste the goodness that the cup delivers. I would say it's probably warming, it's probably satisfying. Can you guys maybe give me some words for now? What do you think about this full cup? What would you say about this? Amazing. Amazing. Okay. What would you say? Any thoughts? Very hot. Very hot. Okay. Anything? Delectable. Delectable. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Vocabulary. Yeah. Like maybe nourishing. 
maybe tasty, maybe sustaining. When we taste the goodness, when we engage at that experiential level, then we know that this full cup is good. Not just factually, but actually. When you talk about this full cup, you can emote. You can speak from the heart and tell your story about chocolate and cream and delectableness, Mamie. Thank you so much for that. So girls, are you feeling this full cup a little more right now? Yeah? Yeah, thanks for that. After this level of encounter, you can be way less concerned about whether you're right about the height of the cup. What you have to say about the full cup delivering goodness and filling you and warming you is the imperative story now. It's truth, wrapped up in truth, and it's been experienced a billion times in the past 2,000 years. No one else took the same sip that you did, but it turns out that your story fits into so many other people's cocoa-sipping experiences. So you start to find common ground with people who also really love cocoa, and you build community with them, and you journey with them, and you gather with them, and you grow with them, and you go with them. There is a point when all of the goodness that you internalized, all that warmth you experienced, all that tasty stuff that you have been inwardly comforted by has to be shared. There comes a time to go and make some cocoa and pass it around. And that is a not too subtle reference to this from Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If you have thought about the cup we're talking about today, learned from this cup, and drank from this cup, then you should know that this cup is, at its core, communal. This cup is given for many. This is a cup for guests. It can be offered to friends. It can meet the needs of strangers. There is no limit to the capacity of this cup to provide for others, and there is no barrier to anyone taking a taste from it. The world needs a hot, steaming cup of goodness. It does not need an untouchable object set on a shelf unused. It needs the full cup poured out. And for that, the world needs lots of little cups made in the likeness of the one. Cups and cups of goodness that all draw from the one good source in which all flow freely. And here's where I want to clearly talk about our faith again. Free-flowing faith. Inward faith, which having been made full, must express itself outwardly. Faith like that is truly imitative. It's Christ-like. And a disciple like that is ready to teach others. A disciple like that can point to the one God and praise his goodness and tell his story. 
A disciple like that will still drink from the fountain and take the refreshment inwardly, but they will pass it on too, selflessly, in the same way that goodness was first given to them. And that give and take, that unforced rhythm, will be second nature to them. This was written by Paul. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The world needs a hot, steaming cup of goodness, and I think you're meant to be pouring it. So I'm sending everyone out with a little reminder of that today. It's something to share this week. I hope it sparks conversation. And I hope you add the whipped cream. But hear this. Not everyone is going to want cocoa. And it is not loving to dump hot cocoa on someone who really needs a banana. So, let sweetness gently flow from you. Solve banana problems with bananas, but at other times, offer to quench a person's thirst with a full cup of goodness. I'll with that. Let me just say this over you. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. <laughs>